Welcome to Talent Hub Talk. I am Ben Duncan, and this is a place where prominent and inspirational figures from both the local ANZ and global Salesforce Ohana share their stories. Tired of wasting time on tedious processes? Try Form Assembly, the secure, all-in-one Salesforce connected data collection platform. Form Assembly helps customers streamline and automate data collection processes, enabling organizations in all industries to save an average of 55 hours each week on manual data entry. Using the platform's new workflow builder, non-technical users can map entire data collection workflows eliminate inefficient processes and make better, faster decisions, all without code or help from IT. Visit www.formassembly.com forward slash talent hub to learn more about the number one enterprise data collection platform for Salesforce. In today's episode, I am joined by Justin Gavette, a Salesforce platform manager and the not-for-profit user group leader in Atlanta. Through the episode, Justin shares his Salesforce career journey and talks candidly about some of the things he has faced in life and the workplace. We cover important and often undiscussed topics such as social anxiety, depression, and the importance of open communication in the workplace. It really was a pleasure to speak with Justin, and I'm very grateful for his openness and willingness to share his experiences. I hope you enjoy the episode, and if you do, please do subscribe for future episodes that are coming through. Justin, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate you having me. No, really good to have you on the show and uh, got lots to explore today. I am disappointed you're in the office because we were talking just off camera. There's no cat appearance today, unfortunately. Yeah, well, that that's probably a good thing because they're they're a bit crazy. They're like my children, little toddlers. Yeah. Yeah, and they just run amok. Yeah, well, I, I got to meet, uh, I think, one or two of them when we were having a chat the other day beforehand. So, um, yeah, they, uh, they're, they're famous in the ecosystem, I hear. So, yeah, we'll, uh, shame we won't meet them today, but uh, really glad to have you on the show and uh, really interested to hear more about your story. So um, if you've listened to any of these episodes before, which I think you, you have with uh, Ben uh, Fuller being your, your, your boss there, I'd like to hear a bit more about you before Salesforce and, and what your career looked like before you kind of moved into the ecosystem. So, so what was that for you? What was your career? And, and then how did you find your way into this space? Well, and, and so that's a very, very interesting question. So I, for, I moved to Atlanta back in 2008. And prior to that, I lived in Phoenix, where I was a homeowners association manager, which is very, uh, not, not a whole lot of people know what they do. Ended up needing a fresh start, came to Atlanta, and basically had to start from the bottom wherever I could find. So I ended up uh, working for a styrofoam cup manufacturing company in the warehouse. And after um, probably about a, uh, eight months or so, um, they started giving me some marketing duties to do. And then the warehouse portion of it grew smaller and smaller and smaller. And the marketing portion of it grew bigger and bigger and bigger. And I ended up being the pricing analyst, uh, there for about three years where I did contract management and, um, financial analyses and, and all that fun stuff. So in my opinion, just a really interesting 
way to kind of grow my my career here in Georgia, you know, making uh, $7 an hour in the in the warehouse to not $7 an hour in a warehouse. How did they go from saying, right, you're going to be working in the warehouse to you look like you can do marketing? Can you do a bit of marketing for us? Well, so it was it was the marketing department, but uh, the marketing department was also over like sales enablement and and all of that. So like I would do some like PowerPoint presentations and and graphical things like that. Um, and then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, you know, then they needed a backup for the pricing analyst that was there at the time because she was going to go out on, out on maternity leave. So I was her backup and apparently I may have done a little bit of a better job. Um, <laughs> and she left shortly after. Um, and so I got that full time. I think I was in that role for three years or so. And then that's when I, I switched to a more sales operations role, uh, with a company up in Kennesaw, Georgia. And I was the manager of sales operations. And as the manager of sales operations, I dealt with everything having to do with sales from pricing to contracts to uh, you know, how, how our salespeople are trained. So one day, <laughs> and I enjoy telling this story. One day, uh, my boss came into my office and said, Hey, we're looking for a CRM system. Can you, can you go out and review some and bring back what you find? I said, sure. Why not? And, you know, brought back like five and, you know, had like a whole matrix of like the pros and cons and ended up landing on Salesforce is what I recommended. And they said, okay, great. Yes, let's do this. They signed the contract and they said, oh, by the way, that's, that's how they get you, Ben. Oh, yeah. by the way, <laughs> we don't have budget to implement it or to hire an admin. So you're going to implement it and you're going to be the admin. So that's what they mean by any other duties. Yeah. Like on, on the job description, any other duties that, that are given. Yeah. So I pretty much had a, uh, had to jump into the deep end of the pool feet first and implement Salesforce. So I like to call that flying the plane while, while learning how to fly or building the plane even. So, so that's how I got into the ecosystem. And that was eight years ago. So you weren't you weren't even an accidental admin. You were an accidental implementation partner at that point, or an <laughs> yes. implementation consultant. And coming in from a completely like non IT background, right? That would have been, from what I can tell, your first kind of IT role. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I've always been good with computers and and programs and things like that, but I I had never worked. Uh, I had never had a job that had that as part of it. So. Had you considered a job, if you were good with computers and you had an interest in them, had you ever considered being an IT professional at that point? Um, you know, and, and that's something that my mother asks, asked me like every single day for several, several years of, Oh, you're, you're so good with I, with technical stuff. You should go and get your degree. She, she doesn't say that anymore because she thinks that I'm an IT person now. <laughs> yeah. even though it's much more than that but sure. she you know it's hard to explain to our loved ones what we actually do 
Yeah, well, I mean, as soon as people hear Salesforce, they they think you're a salesperson, right? So um, at least she kind of gets the concept of it being technology. Yeah. So what? Obviously, you you hadn't planned to to have this career at that point. Like you kind of fell into this space and have run with it. But now there are lots of people that are looking to come into the the Salesforce ecosystem. Um, and not be accidental about it, but like this is a planned career move for them. And a lot of them are coming from a non-technical background. So what kind of advice do you have for people that, you know, might be looking to make that, that move at the moment? So I think the biggest thing is, so there's, there's two things is you don't necessarily have to be technical, uh, because there are different careers within the Salesforce ecosystem. It is not just a, you know, admin it is not just a developer you know mm -hmm. there's business analysts things like that um project managers product owners like i have my um i'm a certified scrum master as well so you know th that's a good way to break into it so yep. it, it it would just be you know don't don't really set your site specifically on oh i want to become an admin because there are the other careers. Mm -hmm. In fact, Salesforce just announced at uh, TDX that they are um, launching the BA um, certification, I think in a couple of days. So they're really starting to branch out into the, into the other roles. And, and that's really great. And they started that with the, with the uh, UX designer uh, certifications. There's a ton of different types of things to do, even if you're not a technical person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And I think like I was speaking to some people recently that have like, they're looking to break into the Salesforce ecosystem and they've gone through a program where they're getting their PD1 certification. And I was asking a lot of them, like, why, why do you want to, like they, they want to be developers, but they couldn't tell me why. They couldn't tell me why they wanted to be a developer. I think it's just because they, they've acknowledged there's this gap in the market for developers and, and are looking to become developers because of the gap. But like you said, there are so many other paths you could take. And I think it has to be like, what do you enjoy doing? You know, do you enjoy, if you enjoy being a BA, you don't necessarily have to be a functional consultant. You can just do the BA tasks um, because the ecosystem is growing that much that BAs, there are roles now where it's just a pure BA role, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So at, at my prior job, we had two BAs uh, for our team. So, and it, and it was definitely necessary because typically the BAs are the ones that help the admins understand and the developers understand the business requirements. So, mm -hmm. and that, that is a super important thing that needs to be done is if you, if you don't understand the business requirements, then you're not going to be, be able to deliver on your product. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just as important as an admin, as a developer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. So you, um, I believe you run the Atlanta not-for-profit user group? That's correct. So when when did you start um, working with not-for-profits? Because I know you, you do some kind of um, pro bono work on the side of, of your role there to, to help not-for-profits um, get value from the Salesforce platform. Yeah, so um, I started doing that about four years ago. And uh, the the first time that I did it, I actually did it with an AE from Salesforce, them and helped them when they were doing their volunteer time through the .org um, program that they have, and 
I really enjoyed the um, the model of nonprofit uh, NPSP and nonprofit cloud, and so I ended up implementing it for a nonprofit that I had been volu- that I've been volunteering for 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 eleven years. So I implemented it for them and then handed that off for you know larger things to be done. They got a a grant. Uh, to get an implementation partner for QuickBooks, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that they didn't have several years ago. So, um, I've just, I've just really enjoyed being able to create that baseline and be there to consult with them at the beginning. If they like what I have to say and, you know, they understand, you know, that it, that it is a, it's an everyday task. It's, you know, when you, when you implement Salesforce and you start using Salesforce, you have to really use it. And mm-hmm. it's, it's just a waste of time if, if, if you fall off and, and, and stop using it. So, um, so I definitely make sure that they're, you know, super excited about it. I wouldn't say ex- as excited as me because I think I get overly excited about Salesforce. But yeah, I just really, really enjoy being able to help nonprofits that, you know, it, it's it's hard for a lot of them to to afford um, an implementation, which could cost you know tens of thousands of dollars, depending on what they're wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try and do a, a few a year, and just you know get them going and get them up and running. So there's uh, there's this um, advice that goes around the market around and. Uh, volunteering when you're looking for experience you should volunteer for not-for-profits and i'll be completely honest i've i've told people to do that in the past like earlier on in my my um, salesforce recruitment journey that was you know i'd heard that and it sounded like great advice and i shared that but then you hear of some stories where that might not actually be what's best for the not-for-profit what's your what's your take on that you're coming with all the loaded questions man (laughs) um so i i think there's a caveat so if if a new admin or someone that is just breaking into the ecosystem maybe they're a junior admin and they want to gain more experience and they want to volunteer great volunteer but make sure that you have a mentor mm-hmm. that is going to help you along the way either someone that is on staff at the nonprofit or someone that is in the community that can work the project with you because again going back to uh finance constraints and budget constraints that nonprofits have if you if you mess it up i mean it, that that could be detrimental because there it's typically not a budgeted line item and if they have to try and fix it they may just say you know what uh, you know i i throw my hands of it and they go to a you know an inferior system that's not going to give them what they need yeah it's i've i've seen in um, in in sydney here there was um it's not just people volunteering it's well that i i saw an example of like a, a not for profit that had really been left in the lurch by a partner because and the 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 project kind of went over budget or got to a point where it was going to go over budget and the not for profit couldn't couldn't come up with any additional funds and it it meant i i think it got to a point where they either didn't get testing and training or they didn't get training i can't remember which one but they basically just had this system that hadn't either been tested and trained or trained um, and and neither of them is a particularly good situation to be in for the people that need to use a new system yeah those those are definitely uh big parts of transitioning a system from uh implementation to the actual users yeah I, testing and and training so yeah. I, I i hope that they were able to get one or the other or both at at some point 
We actually took down uh, someone we know well that's a, uh, he volunteered. He's a solution architect and he spent a lot of time working with them to, to get their system up and running. But, but yeah, like I think, I think there, there's a massive opportunity for experienced people to volunteer for not for profits as well, not just, you know, the junior people that get told to. But yeah, like you said, have a mentor, but also, you know, there are, there are so many not for profits out there in need of some support. And, and there's a lot of experienced talent in the market that can, can add value there. Your um, your journey into the ecosystem. Obviously, you you were in a, a number of different roles before. You you found yourself in the Salesforce world. Um, what what has it meant for you personally to find yourself as part of the the Ohana? Oh gosh, it's it's been a wild journey. And I was on a another podcast a, a few months ago, kind of talking about it. And you know, looking back at who I was in in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, versus who I am now. Like, I don't recognize the person that I was because of the, the choices that I was making in my life and, and all of that. And so the people within the ecosystem have been so great and so welcoming that you can't help but fall in love with it. And it's really helped me become the person that I am today. And you have been open with some of the the, the struggles, um, you know, on the other podcast, and um, and you've you've spoken about things like that. So one of the the discussion points I wanted to have with you today was around like um, the angle of remote working, and like you're in the office now, right? Which you know we we've discussed is something you enjoy doing. The the ecosystem that there's a lot of talk now about um, pushing for people that remote, and obviously a lot of people do favor that, but. I think it's important to highlight that it's not for everyone. Um, what's your experience been like with that? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and thank you for asking. I think that, you know, like with most things, when, when it comes to looking for a job and, and all of that, people are going to need different things based on who they are. And a lot of people like to be able to work wherever they want to. Personally, for me, Working remotely had, especially for an extended amount of time, because I worked 100% remote for two years prior to the pandemic. And then once that hit, then it was another two years before I actually was able to step into an office. And uh, the, the combination of all of that did not do well with my mental health. Um, you know, just depression and all of that, just because I, I, I kind of, I need to have that, that human connection. Which is why, you know, I'm in an office where I think earlier today there were maybe 20 people in here, but it was nice to be around the people and, you know, hearing other conversations while I work. And, you know, it, it just, it just makes a difference that I'm not, I don't feel like I'm stuck in my house. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I could always go to a, you know, a cafe or, or what have you, but, you know, I have better Wi-Fi at home and they have better Wi-Fi at work. So, and I need to have a, a good connection for, for what I do. So, you know, I just, I split my time. So I work half the week at home and half the week in the office and it has done wonders for, you know, my energy and my happiness and just overall well-being. Yeah. I think it's so important for people like companies, especially to, to acknowledge that and not you know, it's not a um, uh, like it's not a um, one size fits all for everyone. Oh, great! Everyone wants to work remote, and you know we'll get rid of our office. I think it's important to understand. You know, there are people in the team that that it, that's not going to suit from a from a 
a mental health angle or even logistically a lot of people you know don't, can't work from home and, and don't have the, the the setup to do so so yeah i think it's important to understand that and and you know for people to talk about that and to talk about how they have felt through that period because you know often it doesn't get spoken about enough absolutely and, and that's that's one of the major things that i have spoken about whenever i'm with a group of people that are in the ecosystem or even outside of the ecosystem i pretty much talk to anybody um, that, you know, mental health is so important. And I, I think that uh, with, with COVID and all of the, you know, lockdowns and people basically being forced to work from home, even if they weren't comfortable with it, I, I think that it really shone a light on how bad the mental health crisis is, especially in America. Um, I don't know about other countries, but I would imagine it, it probably did the same, you know, company, companies just really need to take that into consideration when they're, when they're hiring and, uh, when they're going about their day to day, uh, making sure that there's resources for their employees. If they're, you know, like a, a employee assistance program through insurance and things like that, you know, it's. Uh, it's just it's just a really important thing to have. And what what about um, the, like checking in? I guess like how how every company will have a different policy around how regularly someone's checking in and having you know one to ones and things like that. But did you through that time did you feel um, that you were getting enough of that? And and um, you know is there anything that that you would advise a manager does differently? Not necessarily your manager, but um, like if, if someone's going through a challenging time like that, is there something that, you know, managers can do more of or be looking out for if they're not physically in front of the person? So, and that, that's a great question, Ben. So I, I think during the time that I, I was working remotely, you know, I had regular check-ins like once a week, one-on-ones, meetings out the wazoo. So then you get the zoom fatigue and you're just like, okay, I have to be on camera again. And it's just different than, than being at an in-person meeting because you don't have that, uh, that, that human connection. And that's really like, you, you can't tell, um, with us being on camera, you can't tell what my lower body is doing. You can't tell how my legs are sitting. You you don't know um, how I shift my body. And a lot of communication is through body language. And so you miss a lot of that. But sorry, that, that was somewhat of a tangent. But I, I think that if I, I think the biggest thing it, for, for me personally, I told my bosses at the time that if I ever get extremely quiet, <laughs> then there's something wrong. Like if I, if you just, if you don't hear from me, if I'm not emailing, if I'm not slacking, you know, I'm doing my job, of course, but I'm not, if I'm not like engaged with the team, then there is something wrong. And, and, and please check on me. So I think that it's both the, the manager's job to ask the question. But also it's the employee's job to say, hey, I have an issue with depression and anxiety. That those are my things. I have a I have an issue. These are my triggers, and this is how I act when my anxiety is high and explain it. And you know, if my depression is high, this is how I am. And and that's what I've done. 
I've, you know, Ben, Ben Fuller, my boss knows one, 100% of, you know, what my triggers are, uh, how I act when they flare up and how to interact with me when they do. And it's 100% the best way that you can be with an employee that may have a depression, anxiety, you know, any of those. So, you know, that open communication must be very difficult at times. And I think, you know, you, you need to find the right manager, right? Because um, I'm sure you've been in environments where it wouldn't have been so easy to have that conversation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I won't say a time, say a time frame because it would be easy to guess. Um, <laughs> but there, there was a point in time that I was actively bullied uh, by a boss uh, on a daily basis. So, I still have PTSD from that um, to the point where it gets my anxiety up and going if I even hear certain phrases and, you know, took it up to HR. It, it didn't end up going anywhere. And so I left. So left that company and went to the next place because I needed to protect myself and what I need to, needed to stay healthy, both physically and mentally. Now, I think you knew Ben before you joined his team. Um, so maybe this question isn't um, as fair, but how, how do you kind of make that assessment? Because you, obviously you've gone into a company that didn't work out. Well, it was a horrible environment and, uh, you know, a toxic environment as well. Um, and now you're in an environment where I believe in your team, it's the, the communication is really open. Um, you know, everyone brings their authentic self to work in, in the team you're in at the moment. Was that obvious from the outside before you joined? That was extremely obvious when I was going through the interview process. Um, I actually met the team before I officially interviewed, um, just to see if we were like a, a good fit. Um, I've known Ben for about seven years. Uh, so, uh, through the Salesforce ecosystem. So he had come to me and, um, they needed someone that had CPQ experience and C CPQ certification. It took me about, uh, it took him about two and a half months to get me to, um, actually agree to apply. But I'm so thankful that I did because the openness has, has just been staggering of not just even with my team, but other people within the company, the executive level and, and all of that. So it's just, I'm able to come my authentic, anxiety-ridden, depression-ridden, gay self to work and do my job and kick butt at it. And I think that I think that I'm more successful at my job because of all of that. And that should be like the minimum that everyone expects, right? But it's, um, you know, it's a testament to Ben that, that he is fostering that environment. But yeah, that's what we're working towards where everyone can just bring themselves to work and be happy um, in their, their skin and, and comfortable in the environment they're in. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish more companies were as open. 100%. Now, um, you, you've spoken about social anxiety before. And I think, um, you know, we're in an ecosystem where it's very social. Um, you know, you have Dreamforce, you, you run a not-for-profit uh, meetup event, uh, community event. Uh, you know, it is a, a very social environment and there's world tours, there's, you know, you name it, there's things going on. Do you ever feel pressure to, to be more involved in those things than, than perhaps at times you want to? I, I wouldn't say that I feel pressured. So any pressure 
that I feel is pressure that I put on myself because I like going to these events. So social anxiety and everything. Um, I will typically be successful at forcing myself to go. But I do know, you know, there, it's probably 75% of the time I'm able to coax myself out of the house and actually go to the event. But then there's the other 25% where, you know, I just have to say, oh, gonna bow out on this one because I like being social. It's just the, you know, my mind and my body sometimes don't really sync up there very well. And, um, I'm very, very good at faking, uh, not having anxiety. So one, one of my, actually one of my anxiety tells is I talk a lot. So I'll talk really fast and, and I will just nonstop talk and run around and be like an extrovert. But that is actually my anxiety being let out. Really? It's, yeah. it's so, it's I'm so weird. fascinating, isn't it? How, um, <laughs> It's because I, I, I would say I have social anxiety to a degree um, and I find it um, more challenging to like if I'm in big groups of people I know, that's more difficult for me than in like I could go to Dreamforce where I know no one and and that's like I'd be absolutely fine. But then if you say, right, you've got to go to um, a room full of 50 people, you know, like for me, that's a lot more daunting. But I don't, I don't really know how I act. Like you obviously know yourself well enough to know you become kind of this... Um, extroverted style person whereas i don't know what i do i think i'm probably yeah i'm not sure what my reaction to that situation is but that that actually um gives me the the shivers the idea of doing that yeah i and i i think i'm i'm the exact opposite so if if i'm because I, i've spoken I've, I've not publicly like done a public speaking engagement or anything but i've had to do trainings and things like that and um you know, within work and then with nonprofits that I've worked with in the past, I've been interviewed for the news and, you know, it's when I am speaking with a group of people that I know, I'm able to use my humor and kind of crack jokes at myself. And, and that relaxes me because I'm, I think I'm funny and <laughs> other people may not. And so if I'm in a room full of people that have no idea who I am, I, that, that would probably, you'd probably have to like chain me to the, to the stage. Um, <laughs> because my anxiety would probably be through the roof. Which is, which is interesting because I know that you've started to, to uh, think about and, and put your name forward for some speaking slots at some different events. So um, that must take a lot to do. Um, what's the kind of, uh, what's given you that, that, um, I guess, platform to now say, right, this is something I want to do? Um, you know, interestingly enough, it was the first podcast that I was on. I just really enjoy talking to other people about Salesforce and, you know, our, our different life journeys and, and things like that. And so that really, really struck a chord with me. So I've submitted for a couple of sessions. One I've heard back from and I didn't, I didn't uh, get chosen, which is fine, but there's a couple more that I'm going to be submitting for. So I've got a, a CPQ related one and I've got a nonprofit one. Um, so I, I hope to be able to break 
the anxiety of uh, presenting to a room full of people that I do know virtually, yeah, but are still in you know in an anxious uh, type of uh, mood. Yeah, well, uh, best of luck, and uh, I wish I could come and see it um, when you uh, when you you do it. But uh, yeah, a bit of a journey for us, unfortunately. But um, now, in terms of um, like the the ecosystem initiatives and and things you're passionate about, what what kind of really jumps out to you? And in your career, who have been some of the people that have inspired you the most? Oh gosh! Oh goodness gracious! So I I think that the the community user groups have, are are fantastic. Like I, I love the the user groups and the community led dreaming events are wonderful. Um, I'm I'm glad that those were were started up. I have to give a shout out to my good friend Michelle Burra who runs the Atlanta Salesforce Saturday group. I wouldn't be here today if I had not joined that group. That's really where I started getting breaking out of my shell and you know, talking to people. That's where I met Ben. So literally would not be where I'm at. <laughs> um, so I, I think very, very highly of Michelle um, and several other people that I met there. And, you know, there's the, there's the normal people on, on Twitter and that I've met in real life now, uh, you know, Jeanette, Jeanette Jett and uh, Michelle Hansen and Melissa Hildes are just fan- fantastic people. So it, I, I could go on and on uh, with with all of the people that are within the ecosystem that are just absolutely fantastic. Well, I'd, I'd really like to thank you for for sharing your story, and I think you're an inspiration to many. And I think um, you know people will listen to this and and really um, you know I want to hear more, and and I'm sure be inspired by um, yeah the the journey you've been on and. And uh, you being yourself and, and talking about, you know, who you are and, and exactly kind of what's your, what your, your journey has been like. So um, if anyone wants to reach out and, um, and, and ask any questions or, you know, bounce anything off of you or, or you know, just tell you, um, you know, how much they've enjoyed listening to this episode, where's the best place to find you? So uh, probably the best place is Twitter. Um, and my handle is SFDC junkie j-u-n-k-i-e underscore underscore c awesome well thank you so much i've really really enjoyed speaking with you and uh, yeah best of luck for that next speaking slot thank you ben i've really appreciate uh you having me on the show thank you thank you for listening to another episode of talent hub talk if you're enjoying the podcast we'd love it if you could subscribe and also leave a short review we're keen for this podcast to reach as many people in the salesforce ecosystem as possible and your reviews will help us do that 